I uh, preached on this theme in the last service, but I'm going to preach a different message about it because you are worth it. The idea that I want to bring to you is this. I believe that when God looks down at his people, his sons, his daughters, his church, there are certain things that cause God to not only smile and, and, and kind of gush with, with love upon his church, but there are certain things that move him. There are certain things that move him to action. There are certain things that back up and endorse the faith that he has in us. And one of those things is when he sees upon his church a revival of integrity. Integrity. It's not a popular word. It's not necessarily a modern word that is heard everywhere and all the time. It's a word that is often misunderstood. It's a word that secular society of sometimes put to the side because there is greater importance in, in abilities and tasks and, uh, and the outer of what people can produce and look like and achieve. But when God looks at a human being, he's not looking at the cap we wear or the jacket we're wearing. He's not looking at the makeup that we've got on or the clothes or the jeans that we wear. He's actually looking at the person, the heart, the motivation, the values. And if God could look down upon his church at the beginning of 2019 and see that among us there is a revival of integrity, and we'll unpackage that this morning, I think that are the, they're the very things that move the heart of God to say these people get it. And in our societies, they will represent me well with a heart after God. A revival of integrity. In the first message, we said that it's not just sincerity, because you can be sincerely wrong about something that just isn't true. But integrity is belief in things that are true and good, and you uphold your life in line with it. It's not just honesty. You can be honest with one thing and dishonest with something else. Integrity cuts through the pluses and the minuses and just keeps on track with having a heart of integrity. Integrity isn't a one-off. It's no good doing a good thing one day and then cheating on our taxes the next day. That doesn't make us in integrous because we did one thing well. It's a way of life. It's a strength. It has a cost. It opens doors and it's the Jesus way to live. So you can get the podcast of that if that's of interest to you. But I want to go a bit further in this one because you guys can go a little bit deeper a little bit further than the first service let me tell you this story imagine a fast food hamburger restaurant imagine the drive-through version when you in your car this is a true story a man goes his lady's sitting in the front seat beside him obviously he's a he's a very wealthy man like many of you and he takes her out for dinner to mcdonald's and he's, he's there and he orders two meals and then he drives away with the two meals he, that he receives there, pays his money, passes it on to his lady. She's got this on his knee, on her knee. She, he drives a little bit further on and parks on the side of the road and they're going to have dinner together at the side of the road and chat away. And they open up the first package and there's the burger and the fries and, and all the things that come with it. And they open the second one and it's got the cash from the burger till in the plastic package where the food should be. And he opens it up and there's all these notes, all this money and some coins as well. And the man in the car thinks, man, that's crazy. What, 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 what will happen to, I mean, some of you would be saying, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Lord has just provided. Never mind the burgers. I'm going home with the cash from McDonald's or wherever it was. 
but some people have got integrity. And this guy in the car thinks, man, that's terrible. That girl or guy or whatever it was that served me, that young person, they could lose their job over this. When, when, when they count up the money at the end of the day, they'll say, well, where did all the money go? So I better make sure that that kid doesn't lose, doesn't lose his job. And so he gets the car and he says, I'm sorry, we're going to have to go back. So he gets back. He has to queue up again. He goes to the front of the queue. He gets to where the, the young person was that gave him uh, the two burger meals or thought he had. And he said, excuse me, uh, son, but I think you've made a mistake here because we got one burger meal, but the other one opens it up with all these all this money, all these notes inside. Well, the young guy's like, my goodness. Oh, sir, thank you. I would have been in so much trouble. I could have lost my job over this. Thank you so much. The manager stood behind him. The manager hears what's going on. The manager says, sir, you have no idea. This is, I'm just, I can't believe it. You brought the money back. That is amazing. Can you just wait there? Let me get my iPhone. I need to get a photograph of you. And the guy in the car said, no, 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 no. I don't need a photograph of No, 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 sir. We need this town to know. I want to get this in the newspaper. I want our town to know that there are people of integrity in our town. Let me take a photo. And he said, I cannot have a photo, Greg, taken. This isn't my wife. Do you get the point about integrity? You see, he can do that with the money, but actually not everything is as you think it may be. People know in their own hearts whether there is an integrity lined up in life or whether we have deviated from kind of where it could be and where it should be. I want to talk to you about five people. Mark, love that story. He's going to preach that next week. You're going to get that every week for the next five weeks, I tell you. He's going to come up with different points. M for McDonald's, M for this, and A for that, and C for that. He's going to make a series out of that one, you can tell. Let me talk to you about five people in the Bible, five characters, but each one of them provides a challenge to our integrity. I want to talk to you firstly about integrity as a moral code. I mean, integrity is an inner standard. Integrity is heart values. Integrity revealed through conscience. So if you look at Paul, let's take Paul as our first kind of example. Let me read you what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience, there it is, our conscience testifies. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. I love, I love the Bible when it just gives you everything. It's just all there and you just have to read it and think about it and look at the words and look at every phrase that's in there because there's so much in those few words right there. Firstly, notice that Paul's conscience was clear. He said, uh, our conscience testifies we've conducted ourselves right. So in his conscience, in his, in his inner self, his inner moral code, he's thinking, I did my best. I did the right thing. You know, we can, we, we can mention that because we did our absolute ut, utmost. Now think about this, your conscience. You see, I can see your features. I can see your eye color. Well, I can't in the dark, but I could if we shone a light on you. We could see our eye color. We can see our color of hair or lack of hair. We can see all of those sorts of things. We can see our height. But you see, God is such a creative God. He has created so much of the human being that we do not see. 
the majority of who we are is not visible. You see, the, your, the color of your hair does not determine who you are. Your eye color doesn't determine who you are. Your height or lack of height does not determine who you are. Overly large, high, tall people and smaller people need to hear that because height doesn't actually tell anything about who you are. But things like heart and especially things like conscience, when you think about it, wow, what a creator we have. He's put within us, there's this filter that God has placed within us. And, and if you ask a surgeon and you say, uh, I need an operation doing, can you, can you while, while you're taking my appendix out, do you think you could just pull the conscience out as well? The surgeon would have no idea where the conscience is. He, he can't physically find it. But the creator God makes us so wonderfully, creatively, fearfully made. There is so much within the component of who the human being is. And one of those most beautiful parts of the creativity of God is the conscience of the human being. Because the conscience that he has placed there, when it's breathed upon by the Spirit of God, when it's mirrored by the Word of God, it actually gives you a filter of which way to go in life. And you know the difference between right and wrong. And I promise you, when people say, I have got no conscience, I don't, no, no, they have ignored their conscience. It's a different thing. When people do the most evil of acts and some people would say, well, they've obviously got no conscience. No, they've chosen a route in life that has disregarded what conscience says and says, I don't care and committed whatever crime they may have perpetrated because the conscience is part of the human makeup that God has placed within us. The man in the drive through hamburger joint, his conscience told him, you know, I need to take the money back. But his conscience also told him, I need to be honest and I need to be, get out of the newspapers here because I know where I've done wrong on something else in life. A conscience is a personal moral sense of right and wrong, but it, you and I know that it's God, the creator, who puts into the human being what he's put. It's viewed as acting as a guide to one's behavior. That's what the Oxford English Dictionary says. And as everybody knows, if it's from Oxford, you're supposed to believe it. There you go. Your conscience even now testifies to you and me whether we're getting things right or we're getting things wrong. And we should thank God for it because it gives us a chance to make choices in life such as doing the right thing by people, doing the right thing by God. It gives us those options because we know it gives us a chance to have a live, uh, live a life of integrity. He not only says that his conscience was clear, notice he says his team's conscience was clear. So in other words, it's not Paul the superhuman. It's just the group of guys. They said, we lived among you. We did our absolute utmost. You know, our conscience was clear in what we did and how we lived. We weren't perfect but we had integrity of heart. We did our utmost to help you and to be with you. Thirdly, they conducted themselves right in the world. Look at that again if I read the verse. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in relationship with you as they're writing to the church. So these are people, Paul and the other guys, that did their best to live an integrous life, a life of integrity in the world. That means for you and I that we're in a church service right now but our conscience 
needs to be able to help us and tell us that we're actually doing life right when we're not in the church service, when we're just in the world. What the world is for you and me, for you, it's living probably 99% of you in Berlin, in Germany. It means that in your world, you have family. That's where our conscience needs to help us live a life of integrity. We, most of us are either studying or we're working. So it means in the world, in that environment, that's the place of living a life of integrity. And he says we've lived our life in the world and especially among you, as in he was talking to the church uh, right here. He says we did our best to live right there and we live among you the best we can. So you live right in your business place and we do right by one another in the church. We maintain unity. We speak well of one another. We live a life of honor. We live a life where we try and do the right thing and say the right thing. And it's not the end of the world if we get something wrong because we have a God of integrity who loves us so much he can't help help himself, but always gives us a way back through forgiveness to just put things on track again. But you got to know that God has placed within us a challenge and an opportunity to live a life of integrity. And it's the conscience within us that just helps us trigger making the right decisions as we go. So in our world, in the Hillsong world, in the Christian world, our challenge is not to live a life of integrity in a church setting. Our challenge is just to live life with integrity and do our best to reflect the one that we love. Workplace, marketplace, family, church, everywhere. Then it says integrity and godly sincerity. I told you it wasn't sincerity. The two different things. Integrity and godly sincerity. Two cousins that come together. And then the beautiful thing at the end of that verse we read, verse 12, it's God's grace that helps us live a life of integrity. Aren't you glad that it's not just effort? Because if you and I just tried hard, it'd almost be like a New Year's resolution. I'm going to live a life of integrity this year. And you just work hard and by, by, the, by the 15th of January, you're all over the place. But with God's grace, it's the grace of God within us that if we allow God to be the one by the Spirit of God, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, if we take in His Word so it becomes part of who we are, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, it's His working upon us. Our character, our personality, our persona is being touched by God and shaped by God. All of that constitutes the help that God gives us to live a life the way that He wants us to live it. It's not just your effort. So I would say that Paul's challenge to our integrity is a con- to live a, a, a consistent integrity. It doesn't matter where we are, in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the family, in the church realm, our heart and our challenge is to do a Paul. And Paul said, I lived with integrity consistently wherever I was. Then let's have a look at a guy, Old Testament. What about Daniel? Amazing story in the Old Testament. If, if you know anything about the, the, uh, the scriptures and the Bible, we'll take you through these five characters. All got a different challenge. And it's fantastic. This, this guy's story, very quickly, is he's this noble Jewish guy from Jerusalem, but then taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. Aren't you glad we don't use names like that when we name our babies and grandbabies? Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So think Iraq, think Middle East. And and he's taken from his nation, he's taken from his people, and he now has has been forced and told to serve uh, under Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. But what it says about Daniel is that he serves the king and his successors with loyalty and ability. That's quite a challenge when you think about it, when you've been taken captive, and yet there was something about his heart that thought, I'm now in alien territory. 
I'm now in an aggressive kind of um, uh, environment, and yet my heart remains the same. I'm just going to serve, I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to be loyal. It says in chapter 6 of Daniel, at this the administrators and the satraps, I'm glad we're not called that at work as well, I don't know what a satrap is, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Let's just stop there. You've got people who they are from Babylon, they don't like this guy and the guys that have been brought with him to serve Nebuchadnezzar, serving the palace and serving government. Um, but he's working and he's been given a job in government. And they're thinking, I don't like him. He's not one of us. There's something about him that we don't like. And then somebody probably gossips. He's, you know, he still prays to like his God. He still prays to his God. Well, that gives us a chance. Maybe we can nail him for doing something wrong in our nation. But they could find no wrong in him. Exactly how Jesus ended up being crucified. Having been found, there was no wrong in him. So he's lived right. He's lived a life of integrity. He's served with loyalty. He's done his best for Nebuchadnezzar. And yet those around him are thinking, let's get rid of him. King Darius is then tricked into condemning Daniel to death and is unable to save him. Because what they did was they got him to sign, they got the king to sign a paper that if anyone was caught worshipping anyone other than the king, they'd be thrown into a den of lions. That's not a nice place to go to. It's not looking at Berlin Zoo. It's being thrown into the cage with wild <laughs> lions. Of course, the king signs it because he's thinking, sure, if people are looking elsewhere for their, for, for their king, that's quite right. Not knowing that this was trying to set up the killing of Daniel. So he, he now can't save him. He's, Daniel's thrown into a den of lions. He can't save him. You can imagine through the night, the king who is agonizing because he loved Daniel. He, he respected Daniel for serving him so well. And now through the night, he's thinking he's been thrown into a den of lions. When I get up in the morning and check what has happened, I kind of know what would have happened. You don't survive that. But the following morning, God did save him, saved a man of integrity. It tells us that miraculously the mouths of the lions were closed through the night. And the king just cannot believe what his eyes are now seeing. But it tells him something about Daniel. And it tells you something about Daniel's king. And so what he does is he gets rid of those who betrayed Daniel. And then he instructs the whole nation that they would now revere the God of Daniel and show respect to Daniel's God. It's an amazing situation. But think about this. Daniel was completely in an alien territory. He was in an aggressive environment. He was in a negative area, place, environment. You know, you and I, if we're going to live a life of integrity, it's a lot easier inside church services. It's easier to turn around and shake a hand and slap a back and slap a shoulder and hug somebody and tell them you love them. It's, it's, easy, it's actually easier sometimes to, to forgive somebody in the church that may have said something that wasn't quite the right thing. 
But man, when that starts happening out there, when, when it's a tough world that we live in, when there are different values and different systems at play, when sometimes you're in a company and a workplace and you just feel like they're all against you, you feel like bosses don't like you and, 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 and will we'll, we'll never provide a way forward for you. I mean, we, some of us go back to families where we are, we are hurt and criticized because we're believers maybe, because we go to church. And it's just not an easy environment that we all live in. The night I became a believer at 16, my parents were divorced when I was 11. My mother remarried for company, really, but made the unwise decision of marrying an alcoholic second time round. And so my experience of home life wasn't the best. My dad had gone at 11, and now I've got a stepdad who's on the bottle all the night, all, all night, and the carpet smelt of, of beer, you know, sour beer and all of this. And so I become a Christian in a church down the road, and I felt so elated at night. I felt so, so changed. I was, I was completely saved. I was enamored with what I'd just heard about the gospel. And you know what I did? I walked around the streets of Manchester for two hours because I didn't want to go back into that other environment. But the other environment is the real world. And we cannot live our lives in uh, circumstances and environments where we are, we are alien to that. We are just aliens within it. We are not of this world, but we are absolutely in it. And so I think that the great challenge from Daniel is to have that level of integrity that no matter what the environment is, whether it's alien to us, whether it's aggressive towards us, whether it's negative towards us, but we live a life of integrity right there in the midst of the difficulty and in the midst of the darkness. And I think it's an identity integrity. He knew who his God was. He was willing to die for the God that he loved and the Lord that he loved. He would never compromise on his faith. And we must never compromise on our integrity or our faith or, or know who our Lord is and who our people are because when we're in whatever environment we're in, those are the things that are the constants. They're the values that stay the same and we operate and we live within whatever uh, area and environment the Lord takes us into. An identity, integrity. And he was one that did it and did it so well. Some of us, we bend like a flower when somebody challenges our values. We, we compromise so easily, you know, when, when the majority want to go this way and we're thinking, man, I don't want to say that. I don't want to do that, but I'll do it just to kind of stay with the crowd. You know, sometimes you just got to make a decision with wisdom, but you just got to know whether integrity is important to you. Because if it is, then you're going to live a life that the Lord will back up. Look what he did for Daniel. That was the extreme. What about Zacchaeus? I love little Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a New Testament story. This guy was a tax collector. Boo. He was a tax collector. He wasn't the most popular. They used to employ, the Roman Empire used to employ uh, the Jews to get the taxes from the Jews. So it wasn't the Roman Empire kind of being the face of give us the money. It was the getting their own people to get the money from their own people. That's a difficult job to do. And it doesn't make you too, too popular. And he's there in Jericho and he finds out that Jesus is coming to town. And he must have heard enough stories about Jesus to think, I've got to hear this guy. I've got to see what's going on. He's a little guy, just tells us that he got up a tree. 
He wanted to make sure he had a good vantage point. He could see when Jesus was coming around. So there's got to be some hope within him. There's got to be an excitement about it. There's got to be an adventure thinking, I've got, to, I've got to see what's going on here. I've got to hear what this guy has to say. And I love the fact that Jesus is walking through a crowd. And uh, he's going through a crowd and he says, by the way, Zacchaeus, he can like pick out the smallest guy hiding up a tree. But when it's your time, when it's your Jesus time, he's got his eye on you, my friend. It doesn't matter where you go, how high, how low, how hidden, behind a tree, up a tree, under a tree, he'll find you wherever you are because he's the Lord and he loves you enough. And he picks out Zacchaeus and he says those amazing words, which effectively was saying, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to have dinner at your house. Now, it wasn't Jesus saying, I like your house, I'd rather have dinner there. I've had a vision of this four-bedroom duplex with a beautiful kitchen and, uh, and a nice oven. And it, it wasn't Jesus talking about the food and talking about the... He was basically saying, Zacchaeus, today, everybody else hates you and loathes you. Everybody else is worried about you, but I am going to identify myself with you. I'm not only going to talk to you, I'm going to go to your house, baby. I'm going to go there, we're going to eat together because I'm coming into your world, I'm coming into your environment, into your life. And there's little Zacchaeus thinking, my goodness. And I love the way that he responded. He didn't respond with oh I must get the food ready I'm a... he got it he got it and you can tell he got it because the very first word he says back to Jesus is Lord it's not Mr. Jesus it's not you know anything it's Lord when you make Jesus Lord everything changes and I love what changed in, in him this is what it says in Luke 19 but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the, to the Lord look Lord here and now listen to this I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What that tells me is this. That Zacchaeus understood what I wish every believer understood. That our beliefs determine our behaviors. And when he understood this, I'm going to make him Lord. I mean, this is, um, this is who I'm talking about. Jesus Lord, if you are going to be Lord, I'm going to start doing things right. If I've been cheating people, I realize that I want to do things right and I'm going to start putting things right and in place. He's only been saved, if you like, 30 seconds. But he understands what many believers 30 years later have not quite grasped. That if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we are believers, that is not a mental agreement. It's not, oh, I believe in Jesus as in I've heard the name and I go to church and, you know, I do the Christian kind of stuff. It's not up here. It's everywhere. It's your mind. It's your heart. It's your spirit. It's your will. It's your finance. It's your relationship. It's your speech. It's your ambition. It's your desire. It's what moves you. It's what impassions you. It's like I'm a believer. Has all of that and encompasses so much more. And Zacchaeus in 30 seconds says, Lord, okay, you've not preached. I mean, Jesus hasn't preached at him. And he's already understanding, Lord, you're going to be Lord of my life. I'm going to start living right. I'm going to start doing things right. I'm going to clean up my game and we're going to do the right thing. And what he actually did for him, he just dealt with the issue that was an issue to him. Not the issue for everybody else. Money might not be an issue for anybody else in this room. It might be something else. It could be something completely different. But whatever it is that is not in alignment with the way Jesus Christ understands life to be done, you just do the same thing. 
Jesus, I'm going to be a believer and I kind of understand this morning a little bit more. It just means I need to line up my behaviors, my speech, like which way I'm going. And he did that. But certainly there's a financial integrity that he understood for the first time. And at least take it from Zacchaeus. That in t- at least in our generosity, at least in our use of finance, at least let's, be, let's have integrity every time money is relevant to our world. It means we pay our taxes. It means give a tip, you know, bless somebody, be, be, be generous. It means in, in church, if you can do the, bring tithes into the storehouse and, and build a church that way, good on you because you're putting God first in your finance. If you say, I, I can help with generosity and bless other people and do stuff. If you can be a kingdom builder and make a massive difference and help us build the church throughout Germany, you know, all of those sorts of things. In, in, in Berlin, I don't know about you, but I would love it if this was yours. Yeah. And I don't just mean the brewery, although that would be quite good as well. But, you know, to have, a, to have a facility somewhere, which you say this generation, you know, sorted something out that means my children and my grandchildren in the city that I love are the beneficiaries of what we did together as a church. That's finance. So you look at everything to do with finance. Let's just always do the right thing. And then we're doing a Zacchaeus. And we've got integrity when it comes to finances. Let me give you Joseph. How are we going for time here? Four and a half minutes. Okay, Joseph, you're a, we're in a rush, boy. We're in a rush. This is the husband of Mary. Think of, this is the Joseph of the New Testament. Think about him. I mean, all the stories are about Mary. I mean, the statues to Mary, these prayers and songs to Mary. What's all Joe got? He got nothing. It's like, she's, she's the hero. Fantastic. But I, I actually reckon all Joe needs a little bit of thank yous as well. Because if it wasn't for Joe, we wouldn't have had the whole virgin birth, uh, the importance of all of that understandable. He ushered in the will of God. He made it possible because he, he could have said no, not only Mary. He, he, he could have you know, divorced her, uh, divorced, separated himself from her and spoken bad about her. He could have belittled her. She's coming with this story of, I'm going to be a virgin, but give birth to the son of good God. Hello. I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense to everybody who's engaged to a good looking girl. He's thinking, what Holy Spirit? What do you mean? You're a virgin, but you're not. How does, oh my goodness. Why are you dropping me in this mess? Why, why am I involved with all of this? But if it wasn't for Joseph as well, consenting. If it wasn't for him doing the right thing by her, we'd be in a bit of trouble right now. Matthew 1, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Don't forget, can't be faithful to the New Testament and the gospel because it hadn't been written at this time. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had mind to divorce her quietly, obviously, later on. He just made it all work. Here's the point that I want to make with, with, with Joseph. He allowed the virgin birth to be the virgin birth. Don't forget, he's betrothed to her. He's engaged. He's not married. But he hadn't slept with her. Straight away, there's something about old Joe that's doing the right thing. He's been doing the right thing all of this time with his betrothed girlfriend. And now this new scenario comes up and he still just does the right thing, which is quite amazing. But there was sexual integrity. He never laid with her. That's why you end up with the virgin birth. And again, in the 21st century, it's quite a challenge for people's integrity because society doesn't have that value. Society says if you like somebody, you can end up sleeping with them. And hey, it's okay as long as you don't do any damage to one another. Well, I just reckon in the church, we tell our young people quite honestly saying, you know what, girls, 
don't give up your virginity so easily. It's a precious thing that God has given to you. Just, just think a little bit more God's way rather than this is just what Hollywood says is the kind of the way to go. And within marriage, sexual integrity is a good thing, a kingdom thing, a Jesus way of living. So let's not bash all of those things out as being some old line, old school religion. It's just the word of God because God understands the human being better than we understand the human being. And if he reckons that you can have a marriage where sexual life and relational life marital life is fantastic where you wait for that and you get yourselves the right person and some of you the biggest decision you're going to make in the next few weeks or months or you turn by the end of the year is who you're going to be getting married to it's a massive decision but can I say before you do don't try everything within the sexual sphere to work out whether you want to marry someone guys treat the girls better and honor them better than society does and girls, look after yourselves and protect yourselves well because God will look after you and your church should. Let's make sure you don't give it in and give away to somebody else. And let me finish with Job. Job, a godly man, probably the wealthiest person on the earth, large family, blessed in every way. Satan thinks that he's only following you, God, because he's got stuff. Think about it. Wealthiest man on earth. The devil challenges God and says he's only following you because of the wealth. And God permits this season where everything's stripped away from him. He loses everything. I love the fact that Satan was wrong. I love the fact that Job didn't count on his wealth as being the reason why he followed God. Because he had too much integrity. Job chapter 1. Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head. He just found out he'd lost everything. And he fell to the ground. And what did he do? Worshipped. Just lost everything. Hello. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Just lost everything. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Because he had an integrity of faith. He had faith in God, whether he had stuff or he didn't have stuff. And we can go through seasons where we have and seasons when we haven't. And it doesn't mean there was a God then and now God's disappeared and doesn't exist it's like God takes us through whether the haves and the have not moments because God is God what he's looking for is whether we are as consistent towards him as he is towards us because if we give up our faith because material is materially things are going hard going difficult what sort of faith was that what sort of faith was it that you can throw away when you lose a job there's no God what do you mean there's no God God didn't move your job changed you went from job to no job, and now you've got a challenge which you can face by faith of finding what the next step is in life. So it doesn't change God. And I just reckon that we have to have a faith integrity that remains consistent no matter what happens. It's a, it's a, a faith integrity in the midst of having and not having. You know, I know so many amazing people that have gone through the toughest of times. One of my best mates lost his business. And yet you would watch him on a Sunday and he'd be jumping up and down in praise and he'd be crying during the worship. And he told me, you know, everything else has gone, Steve, but nobody can take my praise away. Nobody can take my faith away. I remember sitting down as a young pastor with, with a, a, a guy from our church who came to see me and he said, I just need to tell you, at least be honest, but I'm, I'm, leaving, for, I'm leaving my wife and I'm, I'm a kid and I'm going with somebody else and I just wanted to say thank you for all you've done for me, but I'm going. And then I had to face his wife. And I'm feeling so bad for this young wife, a worship leader in our church, 
who's now just been told that her husband's going off with somebody else, leaving her with the kids. And I'm talking to her, and I'm in tears. I'm in more tears than she is, feeling so bad for her. And I said, listen, on Sunday, you know, I know you're down to lead worship, but don't, don't, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll, we'll cover you. We'll get it. She said, Steve, 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 please, please, don't feel sorry for me. And please don't take my worship away. Because I want to get up there on Sunday knowing I had a husband last week. I haven't got a husband today. But my worship to God, I want to make sure it's exactly the same. And I cried even more all over again. And I just want to say to you people, the thing that's going to move God for you in this church and going to affect this city to a great extent is the level of integrity by which we live. If we put God first and we just do our best, we just live clean the best we possibly can, we, we put his values before the values of, of society, we put eternal truths and eternal values ahead of the things that change every 10, 10 or 20 years anyway. If we put him in there and we just live and give it our best shot, when we get it wrong, we just come back to God and say, God, I stuffed up again, but I'm, I'm, I'm going again because this is important to me to do things right. Do marriage well. Do relationships well. Do your finances well. Do your sexual relationships well. Do your, do your financial, do your, do your material. Do all of those things just in a way that God says, these guys get it. These guys get it. I can do things with these in this city that I love so much.